What's up, you beauties? Welcome to High and Wide Radio, episode 25 of season 5. My name is Jim Eichelman, and I'm joined by the one and only Jack Smith, boy wonder Travis Ballinghoff. If you are not watching or listening live, where is that coming from? Do you guys hear that? Yeah. Ah, I had YouTube in my other browser. Sorry. Oh my God. I swear if that was me. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? That's All right. Fun. So uh, I'm going to have to edit that or not edit that. But yeah, make sure you're subscribed on, uh, and follow and listen <laughs> to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Uh, if you are watching live, make sure to say hello in the comments. Uh, if, you, if you like the topics that we're talking about, let us know. Chime in. Uh, let's interact. Let's have a conversation. And if you've not yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, we're trying to hit 200 subscribers. If we can do it by the end of this episode, maybe we'll give away a Flyers jersey or two. If we can hit 180, 185, we'll give away some T-shirts. We have some stuff. We want to give it away. But we need to hit a couple goals first. We need your guys' help. Uh, so share our links. Um, you know, Put them wherever you, you get your Flyers information. Give us a hand. Help us out with that. Um, also, if you want to check out our site, maybe buy some merch, listen to our show, you can head over to hwhockey.net and find all of our social media links in one place over at hoo.be forward slash hwhockey. All right, boys. Flyer season has come and gone. The exit interviews were done. Uh, when was it? On Friday? And then and then again, Monday with Tortorella and Briere on, on Monday. Uh, NHL playoffs have started. Once again, the Flyers are not in it. Uh, lots to get to there. It's, this is the second night. The first night I was about as exciting as you could get. Um, it's going to be a fun playoffs, but we got a fun show ahead. Uh, we'll get some Claude Giroux talk in there maybe towards the end. Trav's going to defend his, his, his boy. Uh, <laughs> we were kind of shit-talking him last week. It was oh, supposed to be a positive thing, too. Oh, so we'll get, we'll get to all that. But, uh, yeah, so exit interviews. A lot of stuff in here. Good and some bad. And I want to I want to ask you guys first. Um, you know, did was there anything in these interviews? I'm, I'm pulling them back up here that maybe uh, caught you off guard that that you weren't expecting to hear. Anything that stood out to you in in a surprising or maybe even a negative way uh, in in these player exit interviews? Uh, we could start with Trav first. Um, as far as surprising, I mean. Kevin Hayes kind of came out and said the writing's on the wall. So what we all assume is that he'll be traded around the draft. It's a little bit more certain if that's even possible. I think we were all pretty confident that was going to happen or at least is going to happen. I should say, um, I don't know if you'd call that surprising. I'm trying to think surprising. Um, I don't know. Not surprising. I, JVR's was kind of cool. It was kind of like a goodbye to JVR. He talked about some of his favorite memories and the cup run and some of the, some of his older teammates, Cartsy and Chris Pronger. That was cool. I enjoyed that. Um, I don't know. Surprising. Nothing really sticks out. Okay. It's surprising in a negative sense is definitely not something that I picked up on. I guess some of the players being so blunt with what we kind of already knew was a bit surprising, but I didn't learn anything that I was like, Oh, I'm surprised. <laughs> like, well, I feel like we knew the information. It was more of a formality uh, typically with the players. I agree with JVR though. I, I liked his, I liked what he, how he brought up about Cartsy taking him to a uh, playoff or uh, baseball games and whatnot. But, um, I was surprised that he was upset that he wasn't traded at the trade deadline. 
Yeah. No, I wasn't surprised at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I thought that was interesting. So I I guess to to a point, I was surprised a little bit about some of the candidness from from these guys. You know, because typically we get, you know, the the hockey responses, you know, all the cliche lines, yada, yada. Things didn't go our way this year. We'll, We'll work hard and we'll be back at it next year. But I'm thinking in terms like JVR, he came out and said, yeah, he was a little disappointed that he wasn't traded for, for a cup run. And uh, Cam Atkinson, I was surprised to hear him. Yeah, that's talk, a good one. Talk about, you know, the, the, the medical staff. And I know Tortorella tried, you know, somewhat tried to not so much cover it up, but maybe smooth things over a little bit on, on Monday when he said, you know, doctors even in Columbus were misdiagnosing him, uh, which doesn't make me feel better. Because <laughs> all, all he did was confirm that the doctors in Philadelphia were mistaken. I don't care about Columbus, you know. Uh, so that was the thing. He did say things are improving on the medical team front. They're not where they need to be, but things are improving, which I guess is encouraging. Because let's, I mean, the Flyers aren't where they need to be, but they are improving. So we have to kind of accept that, that hopefully, you know, things are going in the right direction there. But I was surprised that. I, I mean, Torts even said the same thing. Uh, he wished he didn't go down that road in talking about those kinds of things. But I kind of appreciated the honesty from Atkinson because it was something that we've been kind of talking about on this show for the last couple of years. And I think, Jack, we've kind of felt bad talking about it because it sounds like we're shit-talking guys like Jim McCrossin, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but based off the things that we've heard, there's been major issues with the Flyers medical staff going back for, you know, who knows how long. Uh, so I'm glad Atkinson kind of came out. And I think the first step in, in, you know, fixing stuff is coming out and being honest with, about it. So I was surprised and I was also kind of a little bit glad that he said it, it kind of confirmed things for me, you know, it's uh, funny. It's something I kind of put aside something I was like, yeah, that was a problem. I remember all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw how many men lost to game or games lost based on guys, whatever. And it was like through the roof. And it's like, man, I knew it was bad before. And now that I actually see these numbers, it's like, holy cow, they're definitely doing something wrong here. And then you hit the whole Ryan Ellis thing. And it's like, oh, he, you can tell right off the bat, he didn't like the medical staff. And it's like, this is really getting brought up just way too much. Like I've never heard of another team having these kind of issues. And um, I almost thought we were past it. So to see Atkinson say it the way he did was like, I, you know, I know it's a little bit tricky when you're talking about your back and neck and all, you know, all that and uh, how connected to his arm in a way and whatever. But um, it still was just like, we still got a ways to go. It was a reminder that we got a ways to go um, for the most part. I think they've, they've improved, but yeah, things were really bad here for a while. It's just an organization, organizational thing. And yeah, that's one thing I think we, we all agree on is like, no, the ones who, the veterans and the ones who are on the way out are definitely not holding back or hearing stuff that we all knew, but it's definitely nothing we didn't already hear at some point. The Cam Atkinson thing was interesting to me because we heard so many different things while he was injured on these different injuries. People are reporting this. Other people are reporting that I'm hearing things and nothing ever lined up correctly, which kind of makes you, think now i didn't think it at the time but 
okay, that's probably the result of all the misdiagnosis. People were saying different things to different media members, and that's where that confusion came in. So I thought that I thought about that today, and I was like, wow, that all makes sense now. But it also made me wonder, was Ryan Ellis ever misdiagnosed? Because kind of the same thing. I heard different things. I remember Anthony DeMarco reported something different than I heard. And then I remember Ann Sanfilippo reporting something different than both of us heard. And that kind of got me thinking, too. I wonder if there's something there. The whole Ryan Ellis situation, maybe that was misdiagnosed at the beginning. Yeah. And in my opinion, and I could be wrong because I'm no expert in this stuff, but if you're a professional franchise, sports franchise, you can afford the best care for your players. I mean, your players are the investment. If you're not taking care of your investment, these, you know, million dollar a year players, what the hell are you doing? You know, and uh, I, I understand, you, you know, you want to do the right, you want to do right by people who maybe have been in the organization for a long time. But when it, when it comes to people's health, man, like you got to have a conversation and make a decision. And, you know, the flyers I think have done that and, you know, maybe they get this fixed going forward. Uh, Cause it really couldn't have gotten much worse. Uh, so let me ask you guys this real quick with the play. The players did kind of seem somewhat candid during their exit interviews, you know, as far as honesty, you think Tortorella has rubbed off on them in this way? Is that is that a fair question to ask, or is it just the guys being the guys? You think, Jack? I think it's a, it could be a little bit of both. Like I don't typically remember certain players just letting it fly, but I think Tortorella, and it kind of goes with his exit interview, had a goal among a lot of what he wanted to do, but the main goal was you know, setting a standard is the way he likes to say it. He doesn't like the word culture. He's setting a standard and uh, he got asked a lot of good questions. And I think in setting that standard, it definitely rubbed people the wrong way, but it also let along with management now with Briere, particularly certain players know where their role is with this team. And I think that opened up with how, how candid he is where I agree with you they felt they could be as candid and this is players across the board, but also combined with where certain players are in their career, like Hayes and JVR, for example. I mean, what do they got to lose at this point? Um, but ultimately I think that's the culture that uh, we have right now, where it's almost like a wild, wet, wild, wild west scenario. Cause you don't know who's staying and who's going. You don't know what, who, who the GM and Briere's an interim, you know, they don't know what this front office is going to do and whatnot. So, you know, what do you got to lose at this point? I think every, everything's out there for the most part and anything's game. And yeah. And the long winded answer, I think, yeah, but it's also because what has happened to this franchise over the last couple of seasons as well. And the disarray in the front office. Yeah. Trav, any, uh, what do you think? I didn't really put any stock into it. I kind of feel like exit interviews are always kind of guys let their guard down a little bit. Okay. When you got guys like JVR and uh, Hayes who probably aren't going to be here, might not just give a crap. Okay. I I do think it's a reflection of where they they think they stand with the organization too. I think guys that know that they're on the outside looking in are definitely going to 
care less. I think Proveral felt that way last year. Mm-hmm. You saw how candid he was. And, uh, you know, so I just – I think it, it, it things can change year to year. I don't think it's just the player's personality. I think every situation is unique. So you, you bring up Ivan Proverov, and he probably had, in my opinion, or at least I was looking forward to his exit interview, maybe more than any other player on the team. And I, I wanted to get your guys' perspective on uh, – I don't know if you had a chance to watch it or if you just – skim through his, his responses, but watching him, it kind of seemed like what he was saying didn't match how he looked or potentially felt. And I'm just assuming, of course, because I don't know Ivan Provorov and, you know, this, all I can do is basically assume here, but um, he was saying all the right things. Uh, like if you didn't think that he was going to be traded, you would think, okay, you know, this guy knows what he's talking about. And maybe he still does. But I just had the vibe that he was like, you know, I'll just, I'll answer this the way I'm supposed to answer it so that I don't hear any extra BS and I can get out of here, you know, without anybody really noticing kind of thing over the summer. Um, So I'm interested to hear your guys' perspective and we could start with Trav on this one. Yeah, I mean, last year I think he just went in there trying to, start some start some shit he wanted to pick a fight that day i truly believe that he wanted to get something off his chest towards the media this year yeah i mean i i've kind of always felt that way about provorov like he's always just kind of stayed in the middle of like sometimes guys like like i remember shane gostaspear used to be like very honest to the media he would say whatever was on his mind i always liked that um, but then you got guys like Claude Giroux, who's just pucks in deep. We got to play better. We didn't do good enough today. I always thought Provorov was kind of in the middle. He said the right things. He didn't give you too much, but he gave you enough. Um, and I felt that was kind of the way things went on Friday in exit interviews. Uh, said the right things. Um, was pretty honest. He didn't. He wasn't very encouraged. When Danny came out and said rebuild, he came in. Uh, during a rebuild, that's very true with the Hextall thing. Um, other than that, I mean, it, he probably was the most uh, interesting interview. Um, just because I think he's kind of the guy we all want to hear from. Though I think I, I'm putting it at 99% he's gone this off season. But yeah, it was pretty interesting. Sorry, I was moving my desk up over here. I didn't, if I was distracting <laughs> you, my bad. My my chair is broke, and I if I lean back, I'm just I'm definitely going to end up on my back. So, I think it's the background that throws us off. <laughs> Sorry, you disappear and reappear <laughs> so often. Um, yeah, Jack, what do you think? I kind of agree with Trav. What, what do you think there? Oh, I definitely agree. For me, it's always been with Proveroff. Like, he'll do what he does. He want to be here? Like, I you talking to some people like. He's I I thought he was definitely gone. Like going back to Pride Night and a little bit after, I just thought he wanted. I just still do think he would much prefer out of here. We've heard things well before this season how he all be in Vegas or Toronto by you know, you know he just thought he was out of here. I felt that for so long, and then you see saw how last season ended, how that you knew this season was gonna go, 
And then pride night, you throw that in there. It's everything. I just expect him to be gone, you know, and he's sitting there saying the right things, but I, I just, it's almost like a mute point. And it's a complete mute point right there. Like, I'm just like, this is just a formality. Yeah. Like he just, he's going to say the right things because he knows he might be back. He might not get traded and he might help him get traded, but I just don't think this guy wants to be here. And there's other people who feel differently, and I, I really want to feel that optimistic. I loved it when he was drafted. He did go through a rebuild already, so I'm understanding in a respect that wasn't really a rebuild, but I get his point. And I'm just like, it just comes down to, I don't know if this guy wants to be here. I don't know if any of this matters. Yeah, it's interesting. So there's a, a there was a question here. I'm, I, I forget who posed it, so I apologize. Their name is not in the transcript here. Uh, so the question was, we've talked to Torts, and when your name came up, uh, he's always said how, how much he respects your approach, your hard-nosed play. He said that you guys have butted heads a little bit this season, and with the season over, where do you see your relationship with Coach Tortorella? And Provorov starts his response the same way that a couple of other players started their response when asked about their relationship with Tortorella. I believe Kevin Hayes gave this answer, and Maybe even Wade Allison gave this answer. So Provorov starts it like this. I'm still the player and he's still the coach, you know? Uh, and so I, I thought that that was inter- interesting because when, when you hear multiple people use the same line, <laughs> they're hearing it from someone. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so I, I assume that maybe they got into these back and forths and – that's Torch always Torch's response. Right. He uses that as his trump card. End of the day, I'm the coach. You're the player. I win. You know what I mean? Um, so Provorov continues here. Obviously, there's things you're not going to agree upon, but if, but if both people can put an effort to come to a solution, I think you can, and that's kind of how our year went. We're going to continue to keep getting on the same page. Obviously, there's going to be things that come up that we probably are not going to agree on, but like I said, his job is to coach the best way he can, and my job is to play the best way I can. And I'll tell you what, just reading it like that is like, okay, well, at least there is an understanding because Tortorella is right. You know, you can disagree all you want. End of the day, if the coach needs you to do this, you got to do it. You know, I understand it's a little bit different in the NHL when you're making millions of dollars. You can kind of just say it, go, go after yourself. I'm still going to get paid $6 million a year. I don't need to listen to your shit, you know. Um, but, you know, at face value, it's it sounds great. Um, you know, Provorov's play towards the end of the year kind of tailed off, so maybe that was kind of him giving the finger and saying, hey, I'm out of here. I'm glad uh, – I'm going to cut you off real quick. I'm glad Jack brought it up because I actually planned on bringing it up, but you distracted me. <laughs> <All right. laughs> but – um. I wonder if kind of the whole pride thing makes him like he realizes he has to be perfect in the media. Now he can't afford to slip up and get into arguments and have little, uh, I don't even know what you would call that. Whatever. You know, Travis, when he went at Jordan last summer. It's funny that you said it. Cause when Jim was saying like, that's a line that you keep hearing with the, on the player, he's the coach. I almost thought Jim was going to say that's something that the organization told him to say to the media. It's possible. Yeah. If he just was in a spot, you know, like, uh, I don't know what to say. I don't want to say the wrong thing. You know, what do I say? We'll say this, you know, mm-hmm. I thought you might've been going that direction. Just, just based on the situation with Provorov. No, it's a good point. They definitely do kind of teach these guys what to do in press conferences and crap. 
It could very well be. Yeah, if, if you feel like you need to say something negative about torts, here's the line. Say the line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, that's a good one there. So uh, another. So here's something I want to talk about a little bit. So some of the players were asked about Briere and what they think about Danny Briere. Uh, Provorov's response didn't match some of the other guys. So I'm going to read his response here uh, when asked if he had a chance to talk about Danny Briere and how long uh, he thinks a, a rebuild can take. Uh, so Provorov response, yeah, it's, he's pretty open about it being the rebuild, uh, and it's kind of in that rebuild stage. We did talk about it, but there was no real set years or how long it's going to take. All that was said is what they're going to do it the proper way, and I believe he will. So we all know that Jim likes to read into things, right? So I'm going to tell you guys how I am. So the I choose my words pretty carefully. I I typically tend to think before I speak so that I'm understood, right? I want people to understand the words that I'm saying uh, because I mean them. So when I see Provorov say something like, I, th I think they are going to do it the right way, I believe they will. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> He's part of the team. Who's they? He's supposed to say we're. We're going to do it. He's part of it. Is he not? I thought the same thing when I first read that. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Like, so, he I mean, said it, they. <laughs> yeah. So I get that there's two ways, like, you know, because uh, he could just be talking. Maybe he's not as conscious, yada, yada. But Talking about they is in the front office. Exactly. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but I think I still would have if, – if I considered myself part of the team and part of the rebuild, I think I still would have said we are going to figure it out. Because I'm part of the solution. I'm part of the rebuild. Um, he could He's a goner. Yeah. <laughs> He's a goner. It's that simple. He is, right? It's that simple. What can we get for him? That's what we should be talking about. <laughs> so, I mean, I very well could be reading too much into that. That's what I do. I think it's fun. And yeah, a lot of the times people say what they mean, you know, and uh, that's all. I just don't want anything to slip by that, you know, people – you know, they're trying to tell you something straight to your face and <laughs> it's up to you to see if you're listening or not. You know, you'll hear what you want to hear kind of thing. Um, whereas I kind of just try to take things as people say them, which sometimes gets me in trouble, you know, because people don't always mean what they say kind of thing. Oh, thank the Lord. What? Phillies were getting no hit top of the eighth, but they just got one. Unbelievable. What a joke. Yep. You guys see my hat tonight? Go wow. Phillies, baby. Big Phillies guy. <laughs> where's well, your yankees hat <laughs> you know i used to have one when i was younger yeah oh jesus it's an italian thing they're my al team uh one of them guys all right <laughs> who's your western conference hockey team uh, i don't have one <laughs> i did actually you like, you like I think, the jersey i think last week we were talking about the matthews it's a blank i wish so uh, last week we were talking about how I never, I've never owned another team's memorabilia. That's a lie, actually, because when I was little, I had a San Jose Sharks sweatshirt. Wow! But I, I mean, I didn't have a choice. Like I, I don't know. I think I said I liked it, and there you go. But yeah. the only other sports team's memorabilia I had was when I played like little league little sports, league. and they put you on a team. Oh, so you <laughs> I had the like Sharks. I have a. Pretty much anybody but the team that I liked, I played for. <laughs> <laughs> we we did that too. And then one year, 
like in middle school, they changed it and we were college teams. They, oh, they, cl- cool. they claimed that like, we used to argue about what team was better. <laughs> For some reason, they thought that was like a big deal. So they switched. Yeah, they switched us to college teams. <laughs> you know, Jim, I'll say this for AL team. My favorite team that I played for was the Ducks because of the movie. Oh, there you go. There's that my AL, AL. There's my West team. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, all right, let's move along here a little bit. So on the flip side, uh, Carter Hart was asked about Danny Briere, and I I love Hart's answer. I think you guys are going to like this one too. I don't know if you saw it. So Carter Hart answers. I was there. <laughs> oh, you were there. Oh. <laughs> I, I forgot to use some of the clips for the show, damn it. Uh, okay. Guy. Just talking with him, Danny Briere, even before he was in uh, this position now as our general manager, he was a hell of a player, had uh, a hell of an NHL career, and he's just a smart hockey man. So before I go on, right away, there's respect for Briere because he was a hell of a player, had an outstanding career, uh, and, and, is, and is seen as a smart guy. So right away, there's respect. All right, this is what players, at least Carter Hart, this is the kind of person they respect. They need to be a hockey guy, okay? Chuck Fletcher, I, did, did, I don't think Fletcher ever played in the NHL, right? Like, so right away, there's, there's, there's lack of respect, right? Because he doesn't know what you're going through kind of thing. So then let me finish here. The way he carries himself around the team and tries to be involved with the guys and talk to all the guys on a personal level, I think we really appreciate that. He's going to be a good fit for us. Dude. So uh, I I just want to go to Trav real quick here because, Trav, what did we hear about Chuck Fletcher the last year or so with the players? I heard a lot of things about Chuck Fletcher. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In short, everyone couldn't stand him. Yeah, he didn't talk to the players, did he? Uh, I don't know about that. I know a lot of guys did not like him. I, I thought remember, that's where you're going with that. Okay. I mean, yeah, but I remember, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I, I thought I remembered specifically uh, Carter Hart's name came up without, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot here. So if I am just say, Hey, Jamie, you put me on the spot. But uh, we were talking, we were having a conversation about Hart and somehow it came up that, uh, you know, he's not a big fan of, of Fletcher specifically. And, uh, he never talks to the players kind of thing. So when I heard this about Briere, specifically Hart, I was like, wow, like that's re- a really important thing to him, you know, for the GM to actually talk to his players kind of thing, you know? Um, yeah, I, I think that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack, what did you think about that response? Oh, I absolutely loved it. I mean, I'm not going to pin all my hopes on it, but it's good because a lot of people were like, us included, Love Briere. He was a great player. He's going to be a great GM. It's like, all right, pump your brakes. That's not how that works. But to see these little things early, because it is very early in his tenure. It's still in the interim tag, for God's sake. Um, to see these little things and also going to the Tortorella, which we'll touch on later, some of the, the conversations they've had. This is exactly what I want to hear. I mean, more so some of that other team building stuff. But talking to your players, going that extra mile when you don't have, you technically don't have to. Um, that's exactly what I want to see. He is that involved. He is that proud to be in the position he is. Not only the logo, but the title. And he's going to take it seriously. And he's really going to give it all he's got. And 
from what I'm seeing, he's going to do it his way. And if this is one of the differences from the last regime and probably the regime before it, that's fantastic because this, this organization has always flourished when it felt like a family. And I think we got away from that with the last two regimes and it's good to see us reel that back in. So it's, it's a little thing, but it's, it, it's something I definitely want to see. And it could down the road be a big thing. I think that's a great point by you, Jack. That's, a step to getting back there, you know, cause they're all in it together. I mean, we all know what it's like to work for someone that we don't like. It, it just makes everything harder, right? Even all the little things just going to work sucks when you know you have a, a boss or whoever, you know, whoever your, um, the hell's the employer. Yeah. Whoever your employer is, it, it just sucks that you got to work for this guy. Whereas when you like the guy, you know, and he makes a point to go out of his way to say hi to you and, you know, get to know you, yada, yada. You don't even need a raise. You just like where you work. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so uh, that could be a thing that maybe one day attracts players to to pl- want to play here again. Hey, that's a, a good organization to be with. You know, they take care of their players. It's like a family again over there, yada, yada, instead of this corporate uh, shithole that it is now. <laughs> No, seriously though, right? Yep. I mean, Trav. I mean, what what do you think when when you hear that kind of stuff? You know, that that's good stuff, right? Yeah, Jack said it perfectly. Um, not sure I have too much to add. I think you guys pretty much nailed it on the head. Sure. If they can get this thing handled on the right track, and Danny Brayer, confident guy, young guy, has played in the league recently, has played against some of the guys in the league currently, has played with some of the guys in the league currently. I think it only helps. I would agree totally um yeah so let's move on a little bit here so a couple of the guys went out of their way specifically uh, travis konechny and sean couturier scott law and they went out of their way to talk about uh some of the players on the flyers young core and i just put out an article about the flyers new young core you can go check it out on hwhockey.net shameless plug um <laughs> the same players were mentioned and i believe Tippett was mentioned first almost every time, which outstanding year for Owen Tippett. And for as many times as I'm right, which is very, very often, (laughs) (laughs) there are times when I'm not. And as Jack knows, I like to admit those times when they come. And I wasn't, I wouldn't say that I was someone who talked shit on Owen Tippett before the season, but over the offseason, end of last year, we heard, oh, he's working out with a shooting specialist. And I remember being all negative, Nancy. Oh, this guy's known for a shot. He needs to work with a shooting specialist, yada, yada. <laughs> well, guess what, Jim? It worked because the kid scored, what, 27 goals this season? That's pretty damn good. Career high, 27 goals, 49 assists for Owen Tippett. Clear breakout year. I mean, oozes confidence that I'm. This guy's a, he's going to be a staple in this Flyers roster for years and years to come. Could not have been more wrong, and I'm glad I was. Uh, the other guy, and we can kind of talk about these two guys in a second, was Noah Cates. Didn't care for him at all. I was actually very down on negative Kate, on Noah Cates. I went back and looked up old tweets of mine because I know that I was pretty shitty about this kid. You know, oh, I'm going to turn the Flyers on so I can watch Noah Cates this year. Whoop-dee-doo. The dude's up. He's a legitimate Selkie Trophy candidate. Will he win? Likely no. But 
just that his name is being mentioned as a 24-year-old rookie, man, couldn't have been more wrong about Noah Cates. And I'm glad. I'm, I'm very glad. The, we're due for guys like that, you know? One's a reclamation project. The other guy, you know, came out of a, a college, first NHL season. That's a great year. Um, Jack, I want to ask you first, you know, I mentioned guys like uh, Konechny and Couturier were talking about uh, Tippett and, uh, and Cates. Does that mean anything to you when, when guys like that uh, talk about these young kids? And, you know, do you believe in them as part of the Flyers' core going forward? I definitely believe in Tipper. As they were, they were all saying Tipper. Yep. Um, absolutely. Like what he's, I told you before, he's been my favorite player this season, like just to watch and, um, to, ha- to add that to what we had and what we hope we can get, it's like, you're going to need these kind of players. And I, I kind of was with you. Like whenever there's an issue with a player and they bring in a specialist, it's like, all right, we're in trouble now. Cause it's not like it was in addition to his game that kind of was his game. So to hear he needs a specialist made me a little nervous too, but I also also I read it I wrote it off because Florida is a very good organization that usually has to make waves with not spending a ton of money. So drafting was a more their forte, and when they were out on this guy and they gave him up, you know Fletcher for whatever, it was like, yeah, they're done with him. You know they know how to to get good players and win if the, he's a cast off what are the odds he's anything here. So to see him have the season he had flirt with 30, the way he did given the power play time, he to definitely hit it. It's like, wow. Okay. So it means it's, it's like, we're not crazy to hear the players say that the players who he could potentially take some of their spots. He filled them for connecting pretty well. You know, it's like not, I'm not saying he's replacing anybody. I'm just saying, you know, like, we're not the only ones noticing it. We're not being uh, overly positive that we're given a lot to be positive about. We're seeing what everybody is seeing. And for the first time in a while, we got a nice reason to be positive about this young core going forward, potentially new core. I think what gets me the most about these two players specifically is I'm not sure that we had expectations for them. Whereas, you know, think about the prospects coming up like Konechny, Provorov, Sanheim, Morgan Frost. We couldn't wait for these guys to get here, and we couldn't wait for them to perform. And when they didn't perform, it was, you know, we were very quick to be like, what the hell's going on with these guys kind of thing. Whereas, uh, I'm not going to speak for you guys, but I had no expectations whatsoever for Noah Cates. Really no expectations for Owen Tippett. You know, I know he was a 10th overall pick in 2017, but – Hadn't done much. He's basically a reclamation project that they got for Claude Giroux. Uh, no, he's got a, a big shot, but does he know how to use it? Yada, yada. I had no expectations. So it made watching them kind of easy, if that makes sense, where you know I could just watch them and not be like, you know, compared to like Morgan Frost. Oh, this kid's known for yada, yada. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. This is his third year in the league. Not seeing it. You know, Does that make sense, Trev? Yeah, completely. Um I've talked about it a handful of times on the show. I I liked Kate's coming into the year. Um, same with Tippett, but with Tippett, at the time of the trade, I was like, eh, kind of like Jack. Like I, I really wasn't sure what he was. I used to compare him to Daniel Sprong, who mm-hmm. really wasn't good until this year as well, um, which Axel, is kind of funny. Baby. 
right? Um, but coming into the year and kind of how the way Tippett and really that whole line of Cates, Frost, and Tippett performed at the end of last season, I was like, well, we might have something with these two guys. And I'm not saying I had expectations of 25 goals, 50 points. Like I didn't say anything like that, but it was like, okay, well, I think this guy might be able to be a good player for us. But now, like, a season later, I have a lot of expectations for Tippett. Just the shot, the speed, the amount of scoring chances this guy develops on a nightly basis. Why can't he score 40 goals? As long as he keeps continuing to get better and he keeps working in the offseason, I don't think that's really that crazy to say. 40 goals is a lot. You're pretty much a superstar if you're scoring 40, but I think he has that in him. Um, with Katie. Going back to exit interview day, Coots kind of talked about how he wants to play with Noah Cates. I thought that was really cool. That's like the ultimate compliment from a guy like Sean Couturier, who there's some comparisons there as well, but guy who's been around and had a really successful career say he wants to play with you, that's got to be really cool for a young player. We'll see what happens if he's at center or wing next year. I think I'd like to see him at center still. Um but, I, I mean, I don't think the Flyers are going to be good next year, so I'm not opposed to trying a bunch of different things. Um, but, yeah, that's my thoughts on those two. That's the only thing I was going to add to, to what you said, Travis. Like, you, we're probably not going to be good next year, so um, we could really have some fun with some of these line combinations. So mm -hmm. I, I would like to see some experimenting, to say the least. You know, so throughout the year, mostly towards the end, there were people on Twitter that were – Comparing, I think, Kate's to Couturier at some point. Um, and I would say, whoa, like, pump the brakes there a little bit. Like, we don't need to do that. Like, Couturier won a Selkie. It's maybe a little bit disrespectful to compare a rookie to Sean Couturier. And uh, Travis Konechny comes, <laughs> comes right out and says it, doesn't he? Uh, he gave an answer here. Uh Katie, it's just really impressive what he was able to do. I bring him up last because I played with him and I had an opportunity to play like half my games with him and just see what he can do. For him to remind me that much of Sean Couturier in his first season is really, really impressive. So that's high praise right there, man. That's the Flyers' leading scorer, uh, leading goal scorer, 30 goal scorer, Travis Konechny, uh, with high praise for Noah Cates. Fifth, fifth round pick, correct? It was late. It was definitely late. Yeah. Fifth round picked 24 year old Noah Cates being compared to Sean. The Flyers are friggin' due for a guy like this. <laughs> so like we, just, got, we got something out of Hextall, huh? Something. Yeah. I mean, he, dude, here's the thing. Like he can pick goalies and he can pick late. If he could pick fifth round picks, Oscar Lindblom was good for a year or two. Noah Cates. Uh, I, I feel like there's one more that that's not coming to mind right now, but um, yeah, just crazy. If, if only he could have hit <laughs> on the second, second overall pick and uh, whenever the hell Jay O'Brien went, um, there's plenty of guys. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, those are just two of our, you know, the, the, the new young core here. Uh, I'm going off this beautiful article that I wrote. One of the, uh, the longest, certainly that I've written of late, uh, Morgan Frost guys. I want to talk about Morgan Frost because, I'm looking at uh, his stats here. 41 points in his final 59 games of the season. His first two months of the year had just five points, right? 
it's crazy to think about five points in first two months. And I don't, I can't really remember that far back, but I'm sure we were all, Oh my God, Morgan Frost. Like there's no way they can bring him back. Yada, yada. You know, we heard he was making plays in spurts, just the points weren't coming yet. And all of a sudden he's scoring, you know, four points against Arizona one week, four points, Arizona again, the, the next week, all of a sudden he's finishing uh, 41 points in 59 games. I think over an 82 game stretch, uh, what is that? About 60, about 55, 60, 60 yeah. points. Hey, that's pretty solid second line center pr- production right there from Morgan Frost. Uh, not, finished with 19 goals, almost a 20 goal scorer. Uh, before the season, I had said if Morgan Frost can hit 40 points, that would be a, a, a solid step. And I think he finished with 44. I got the stats right here. I don't know why I'm guessing. Yeah, 40, 46 points for Morgan Frost this year. That's pretty, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack, I'll ask you first on this one. Morgan Frost, can you pencil him in to your lineup yet for next season? <laughs> I mean, considering all the massive talent we have, it's tough to, you know, do I dare say pen? You know, I remember <laughs> those first two months, he scored like three points in the first two games. Yeah. It was like he had a two old game, one empty netter and then like yep. an assist and then shut off until, yep. you know, Christmas. But, you know, it's, it's great. You know, it's what we want to see. You can finally put this conversation to bed. I don't think you can look at the season and think he's not an NHL player and the Flyers need as many NHL players as they can get. I am. Not only am I going to, I mean, what I love about Torrell is everybody's going to compete no matter who you are. I love that. However, I'm going to pen. I'm going to use pen. You know, I'm going to pen him in. He's somewhere on this roster going into next season, game one. And I don't think he moves up or down unless he's, the only way he'll be out is if through injury. Yeah. Ah, That's fair. Trav, where are you at with old Frosty? I've been saying it for months. I'm all in on the guy. Love it. Pencil him in. What are you talking about? 45 (laughs) points. He was the lean scorer the last couple months of the season. We're talking about maybe penciling him into the lineup. So you go back to the beginning of the year, right? He has that dominant first game of the season against the Devils, right? (laughs) And then, you know, he's he's playing all right. Points aren't really coming, but Tortorella goes and sends him a message, right? He goes and puts him on the fourth line with Delorier and McEwen. And they have some good games, some not-so-good games. He ends up getting scratched in his hometown of Toronto, hmm. kind of like Travis Sanheim and Calgary, and you think Kevin Hayes against his former team, the New York Rangers. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's someone trying to send a very, very specific message. Mm-hmm. But that's a conversation for another day. Anyway, so Morgan Frost gets back in the lineup and gets a little bit more ice time. He's playing with Wade Allison and some other guys. And he starts to play a little bit better. And then the Arizona Coyotes absolutely lights him on fire. And ever since then, he's been a pretty good player. There was a little lull in there about three-quarters of the way through the season. But, I mean, even Austin Matthews and Nathan McKinnon, they they have slumps every now and then. Um, I'm not saying he's going to be them guys, but they're hockey players. It happens. (laughs) Pencil them into the lineup. Pencil them high into the lineup, James. Hmm. So here's my thing. So all year long, I was like, yeah, you know, I just, I still don't feel confident penciling Frost into the lineup yet. 
Like, where is he? Is he a third C? Like, if, if he's third C, I want a little bit more defense out of my three C. Like, Noah Cates is is my um, perfect three C. You know, he's going to put up 40 points, but he's going to give you, you know, great defense. Mm-hmm. You know, he can shut down the other team's top lines, give your two, top two sentiment a break, and go out and beat up on some of these lesser lines. That's my prototypical 3C. So if all Morgan Frost was a 3C, was was a 3C, then, you know, I'm, I'm not buying. But if he's going to score at a second-line center rate, hmm. I shall pencil him in to the 2C for next season. Um, I, I still can't believe he's only – let me just double-check. <laughs> I think he's only still just – 23 years old. Let me just make sure he's not 24. God forbid he's a year older. And some of these other guys we're talking about, Cates and Tippett, they're 24 already. Let's look at Frost. Morgan Frost, 23 years old, turns 24 <laughs> on May 14th. And you wanted to get rid of him for nothing. It's it's insane. Well, you're right. <laughs> you're right. And if you guys have listened to past episodes, uh, or am I talking about Nolan Patrick? I can't remember. But I'm, I think there was a point where I was like, you know what, get rid of this guy. Just get him off the team. I'm pretty sure that actually that was Patrick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Morgan Frost hadn't played a full NHL season until this year, his age 22 to 23 season. I'm sorry, 23 season. And just, uh, wow, shame, shame on me because that's, that's a kid still. You know, he, he, he just—he hadn't played a full season in the NHL. I'm going to give up on him. <laughs> Come on, Jim. What are you doing? But 46 points in 81 games in his first NHL, first full NHL season, almost a 20 goal scorer. You would assume that he would only improve from here on out, uh, especially under John Tortorella, who keeps sort of, you know, dangling the carrot every time Frost catches up to it. He kind of pushes it out a little further which uh, we, I think we've heard Frost talk about a little bit. Like every time he gets better, Torts is kind of raising the bar. Okay, you're here. Now we need you here. And uh, hopefully that keeps working with him because the talent is there, ladies and gentlemen. I'm now a believer in Morgan in Morgan Frost. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I what think. What a great day. <laughs> it's about uh, time. April 18th, 2023. <laughs> Put it in the record book. Jim across the picket line. Yes, <laughs> I'm there. Um, Man, right. early in the episode, you said you're rarely wrong, but whew. yeah, start, I got start writing them down. Of them. Start checking it off. <laughs> you look like Keanu Reeves dodging bullets. <laughs> so so far, I'm I'm over three. I'm Tippett. I missed Kate's. I missed Frost. I'm just going down my list here. All right, our so entire future. Typical hockey boomer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so here's one. So I'm going to finish strong here. Oh, God. Joel Farabee is part of this core. He is the youngest of the four players mentioned so far, right? We all know, started out the season rough, had the neck surgery uh, from off-season workout. Not off to a great start in his first off-season under John Tortorella and caught a lot of shit for that because he never really caught back up until maybe three-quarters of the way through the season. I think he actually started out somewhat hot, surprisingly, um, but this is a kid who was supposed to miss at least the first month of the season. Didn't miss a game all year, which I think says something about his compete, his will to 
play. He, he wants to be out there. Um, to me, it just, you know, it's, it's about impressions too, right? That stuff kind of matters. Like he, he could have just as easily sat out the first month, but he knows, Hey, first year under a new coach, I got to get my ass out there. That stuff means something. So, uh, you know, it goes out and for the year that he had, I mean, if you're on Twitter, you would have think that he had a, <laughs> just a terrible year. It's you know, and, and maybe for the standards, see expectations, right? Maybe for the standards that we are holding Farabee to, first-round pick, um, yada, yada. You know, 39 points in 82 games is not very good. Uh, however, coming off of that next surgery, with only which only two other players in the NHL have ever had in Tyler Johnson and Jack Eichel, uh, Joel Farabee was able to set new career highs, not just in assists, my friends, but points as well. Now, I know this is his first full NHL season. He's, uh, before this year, he was yet to play over 63 games in a season. Um, but finished strong. He, he was, I think, benched in that game against Calgary, played like three minutes or something, uh, and then kind of got his shit together from there. Jack, Joel Farabee, uh, where do you kind of stand with him? Uh, go ahead, just answer. I don't want to – where's Joel Farabee stand with you? He stands kind of where he stood last year. I mean, okay. I kind of gave him a pass because of the surgery. I think most fans kind of did. Now, you you kind of say something like that in your head, and as the season rolls along, you can't help but let doubt kind of creep in. Um, but when you kind of, like, take a step back and, and look at it all now that the season's over, you're like, look, you know what you walked into the season with, not just the surgery, but a brand-new coach, you know, complete disarray at the upper rings of the organization. And he finished strong. I'll take it. Could have been a lot worse considering. I would absolutely agree. And I think this is a, a massive piece. I think maybe an even bigger piece than Owen Tippett than Morgan Frost than Noah Cates is Joel Farabee. Now, Call me, call me crazy. Call me whatever you want. Just don't call me late for dinner. Such an Italian. <laughs> I think, I think Joel Farabee could be the next captain of the Philadelphia Flyers. Wow. And, and I think this season shows you why he maybe could be or even should be. He persevered, right? Life kind of sent, uh, you know, handed him some shitty cards, you know, with that whole neck thing. Like I said, he could have rolled over, missed the first month of the season. Hell, he could have missed two months. Took his time coming back. We're not making the playoffs this year. What am I going to rush? You know, I'll get back when I get back. No, he didn't. He came back and played full 82 games. You know, he got shit because he wasn't scoring, right? But I think he even got in two fights this year, right? Mm -hmm. So so he's that not Chuck afraid of... love that. right. Was it smart? No, maybe not the smartest thing, but he's got a set of nuts, yep. Joel Farabee. And, um, you know, I'm not comparing him to Mike Richards, but <laughs> a guy that will do the things that maybe you would expect of guys like Delorier and whoever else, Nick Sealer, I can respect a guy like that because it's not his job per se to do that, but he'll do it if needed. Um, I think he's got a lot of leadership qualities. Guys, and uh, you know, I know I kind of go to one extreme to the other extreme with with players because it's fun. 
Um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, Jack, what do you, what do you, uh, did, so actually Trav, I think I got to ask Trav this one, Joel Farabee, Trav, what do you think? I'm right there with you. I think this guy's a huge building piece. Uh, you, you mentioned the surgery and Eichel and Tyler Johnson and these guys who have had this surgery who have just, it takes a while to get your feet back under you. And you think he had it in the off season. So he didn't really have time to work out. He's too busy rehabbing this stupid injury. He's going to be a monster this year or this, uh, this, this next upcoming season. He's going to be in the gym every day, busting his ass. He wants to come back. He knows he didn't put up the points that maybe were expected. He scored 20 goals a couple years ago. He didn't hit that this year. He didn't hit that last year either. I just, I think this guy has superstar potential. I think he's a huge building block for the future of the Flyers. The only thing I'll add to that is a lot of players face adversity like he did this year when the coach, it came out that he wasn't happy from his agent and the coach was like, it's the first I've heard of that. And he kind of had to respond. He could have like shelled up and just kind of finished the season quietly. I think he played better from Mm -hmm. that point. And that's good to see. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. It's a great point. Um, I want to kind of move on to our last player here because we are about 53 minutes into the episode and we still got to talk about playoffs. The last player as part of this core, uh, boys and girls, who came up at the end of the year and you know all he did was score seven points in eight, in eight games with the Flyers. Mr. Tyson Forster, drafted back in 2020. Uh, I mean, I can't, I can't talk about this kid enough. I'm not going to... I'm not going to go crazy pumping him up because it was only eight games, right? And you guys already know how I feel, so I'm not just going to repeat myself. But what I think is interesting about Tyson Forster is, I'll pose it like this. Did he make players like Cam Atkinson or even Travis Konechny potentially expendable? by coming up and, and doing what he did at the end of the year. Scored two goals tonight so far, last time I checked, mm-hmm. in, in the first game of the uh, playoffs for Lehigh Valley. And they were both – the first goal was absolute filth. The second one was pretty nice as well. Um, but, Trev, does Tyson Forster have a spot on this roster next season? And if he does, does it mean one of Atkinson or Konechny is traded? Well, I think he makes the team next year unless he has a bad camp kind of like Cam York did. Um, coming into this season, we all kind of penciled in Cam York on that third D pair and he had a bad camp and they sent him down to Lehigh Valley. And I think a lot of us were surprised about that. Um, we'll see what kind of moves they make in the off season, but I personally expect Forster to make the opening night lineup, assuming he's healthy and assuming he doesn't have a bad camp. Um, that being said, the second part of your question, does that make Konechny or Atkinson available in a trade well i would trade cam atkinson tomorrow if i could um i don't think anybody would trade for him without seeing him play first and making sure that shoulder or whatever the heck it was now now i'm even dude, all, he, all the misdiagnosis got me all messed up i can't even remember what it was at this point dude he he actually said i think at one point that it was similar to what Faraby had the only thing different was they had an artificial disc placed in. He used something from like his knee or his hip, hip. or something. His hip. His hip. His hip. That's right. 
which I thought was interesting because if that's the case, wouldn't he be the fourth player with this procedure or is it because he went all he natural? Said it was different. He said it was different, but man, there were a lot of similarities. Okay. Like it wasn't quite the same, but it was close. Okay. And yeah, they, they used something off his hip instead of making it artificial. It's mm. the only difference that I remember hearing from him. He said he's felt the best he's ever felt in his career. Never heard that before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I would I would trade that guy tomorrow if I could. I, I, I don't think that's possible. As for Konechny, I mean, this is the most interesting one in my eyes, probably besides Carter Hart because, I mean, he's your best skater. In my eyes, he was probably team MVP, and that's nothing against Hart. I mean, he won so many games at the beginning of the year. But we saw what the heck the lineup had going on when Konechny was hurt. They were averaging like a goal a game. They were nothing without Travis Konechny. So, like, what if they do really embrace this rebuild and it takes six years? How old's Konechny at that point? 32, 33? Hmm. And then it's almost like, wow, we just wasted this entire guy's prime of his career, kind of like they did with G. Now, Konechny's not the same player Claude Giroux. Claude Giroux's a legend. But Travis Konechny's a pretty dang good player, and he's your best player, and he has the most value on your team, skater-wise. And for him to just kind of sit here and waste the prime of his career, that's kind of where I think Jim's favorite word, the timeline, comes in. Danny's got to look around and say, okay, well, if we keep Hart and we keep Konechny, our timeline you would think is going to be a little bit quicker than if we get rid of them. But what if you get a bunch of first round picks and some highly touted prospects for them guys, maybe that's the way to go to kind of revamp this rebuild. So I don't know. It's a really interesting question. I don't know what they do. I think the only thing that can save connect me at this point is if the flyers get Bedard, but I did have a scout tell me that uh, it won't save him that we that they should still stick to the plan. So not the sure. clown. Um, oh that's Absolute a good point. Clown. No, I, I actually, I actually like what Trav said because of kind of like right off the bat, like you look, Konechny, Atkinson, Tippett, Forrester, Allison. Allison can easily, after the season he had, play on your fourth line and go from there. It's a style of play. It makes sense. Um, Konechny's got to start on your top line. What do you do without Atkinson, rather? Like, yeah, I mean, I've seen a pencil in on the third line. Um, Tippett's obviously going to play on your second, and then you got Forrester. You, where are you going to put him? You're, you're going to, as as uh, uh, Torts always says, like nobody's job is is set. Like you're com- always competing for your job. You're going to deny Forrester. He's going to if he does not have a Cam York preseason, instead has a oh god, what was that center that was terrible for us? No, he had a, he had a great preseason. He played two game, two good games. It was horrible after that. Jim, remember I could never say his name. Uh, Sedlak this year. No, not Sedlak. It was like Sedlak. It was a couple of years ago. Filipola. No, it was after Filipola. For God's sake, he was a he was a young guy from Ru- Russia or something. Vorobiev. Vorobiev. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. If if Forrester has a Vorobiev type of preseason, just preseason, you you cannot deny him a roster spot. Like he's got to play. And to Travis's point. Yeah. Okay. You look at it. Oh, let's trade Dacus and move him. He's older, but what kind of return are you going to get for that? Are, are you almost asking for a team to do you a favor at that point? I don't think it's that bad, but the return will be pretty you know, weak. 
where connecting can get you a lot back and you can accelerate that theoretical timeline, especially when you don't wind up with Bedard or one of these top four guys and wind up taking, you know, I don't want to say shot in the dark, but you're still hoping for a lot more than what you get. It might make sense at that point. And this team kind of does need massive changes and connecting just had the best season of his career. He's got two years left, so if he doesn't want to be here, a lot of it comes down to him. He could just say, I'm not resigning here, and then you have to trade him. That's true, too. That's kind of the weird part we're at right now because I would say, no, there's no way in hell that I'm trading Travis Konechny, who I think, I don't know, I guess, do I think that this is the best that we're ever going to see Travis Konechny at, or do we think that he can improve between age 26 and 30? You know, I, I think maybe that's when I have to maybe take a look in the mirror and say, okay, he's 26. This is his best season. How much better can he possibly get? Uh, is it just that you want to see him here and score 35, 40 goals next season, whatever it is? Or, you know, if, would it make more sense to trade a winger, you know, for, you know, a potential, you know, top pick or uh you know a young prospect that can play maybe the center position or maybe you go out and somehow find Ivan Provorov's replacement yada yada yeah I don't know that's something I still have to kick around a little bit I'll tell you this though if Tyson Forster is legit it makes trading Travis Konechny a lot easier doesn't it oh you having Tippett and Forrester you kidding me like yeah, you and and then get back a big return. I think that's what it's going to come down to is is the offer, is the return, is it worth it? I think they know what they want to do, but they have price points at everything. I at least I would feel that way. Briera said everybody he's listening on and everybody. Like I think that's exactly how he's viewing this, and that's exactly how he should view it. Would I love to see connect me a part of this team when they finally do make their real playoff push? Absolutely, but. If that's not in the cards and you turn down a deal, which could have really netted you a nice return and really accelerated this process process, kept everybody in the same age group and core, then you, you, I would be pissed. So you have to do that. You have to view every trade you get. And this, this deadline, or I'm sorry, this uh, draft is going to be very interesting. He's got a lot of moving parts. I mean, Hayes is obviously one Proveroff is probably two. I don't know what other veteran you can think of, but I would say that like dark horse, but you never know kind of hail Mary trade with connect is three. And this goes to what Briere said about being aggressive in the draft and potentially moving up. Now, a lot of us sh- shot down immediately, not moving up from seven. How do you move up from seven? But this could a trade like this could theoretically get you back in the first round. And, and that's very interesting. So I, I don't know. I don't know what kind of GM Briere really is. So I, I guess we're going to find out. So I will kind of save this maybe for the next episode. Um, but I was trying to kick around a, tra- a trade scenario, you know, because I think it's dead set pretty much in stone that Hayes is going to Columbus. Hmm. And I was trying to figure out what a return looks like for Hayes, you know. And it's been said the Flyers are were looking for reclamation projects around the trade deadline. And if they're going through this rebuild – you know, why not look for reclamation projects still, you know, because it looks like they have the staff that can kind of help these these players. You know, I'm looking at Tippett, Frost. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, they have uh, – man, why do I, I want to call him his dad's name. What's, what's Sillinger's first name? Uh, Cole. Cole Sillinger. 
you know, he's a guy that's in his second NHL season, didn't have a great year. Maybe he's a guy that comes back. Uh, I take that in a heartbeat. Me too. I really <laughs> like him in that draft year. <laughs> and then, and then they have a guy like Boone Jenner, who's basically their their Scott Lawton over there. Maybe matches up cap. Um, but then I'm I'm wondering, you know, if the Blue Jackets don't get the first overall pick, and you know they're trading for Kevin Hayes, you know, do they trade back with the Flyers if Travis Konechny is involved in the deal? You know, maybe they go get their winger and they're still able to draft the center late in the draft. Uh, you know, because I think right around where the Flyers pick, there's going to be some centers. Will Smith, you know, maybe the Flyers say, okay, you know, Adam Fantilli is our guy sitting there at, at two. Columbus has two. And I'm just kicking stuff around. It's all. I'm just, I'm just going to say this. If Briere pulled something like that off, like it was one of his first moves as Flyers GM, he would immediately be the greatest GM. And I don't, think <laughs> that, I don't even think it's that crazy of a thought. I, I agree with everything you're saying. If Columbus is going that direction, that makes a lot of sense. But to get a player like Fantilli, like, like to, to do, I don't know where Columbus is going to fall. I'm just saying like to pull that off would be this town. You thought Hextall, the Hextall juice was crazy. Like, <laughs> Oh my God, the people would be getting baptized. So all, all I do, all I'm doing is trying to connect some dots and, you know, and trying, playing guessing you, games. So kick a line and Jack came out and said that they want to win games. I don't think that they, they want too many seasons like they did this year. I mean, they have Goudreau. They, so they signed Goudreau. Their rebuild timeline, it needs to be sped up. Did you just say timeline? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about Columbus, who's constantly in rebuild. Right. So, uh, you know, if it would speed things up considerably, you know, trading for two veterans, they still have Cole Sillinger coming up in the pipeline, uh, you know, and they, they're still able to get a guy like, uh, I don't know, depending where the Flyers draft, let's say they let's say they're drafting at seven. You know, there, there are a couple centers there for them still to draft if they so choose. Um, it, it, let's if that's the case that they want center, you know, I, if they pass up on Fantilli, I would assume that it's like, okay, well, you know, we're getting Konechny, we're getting Hayes. They're probably get, you know, they're getting the seventh round pick as well. Right. Uh, they're giving up the second. We can still get a center later in the draft, give them Fantilli um, and yada, yada. And yeah, that would be Briere's rock star, you know, cement on the roster move. That is, you know what on the table move right there. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, what, what better way to get into the off season to be like, boom, I'm fucking oh here God. instead of just kind of whimpering into it. Like, yes, we're going through a rebuild. We have to be patient, yada, yada. Instead it's like, no bitch flyers. Hockey's <laughs> back. We're trading up into the top three. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. For angry Jim, you're an awfully positive fella. <laughs> So I would I, love. Just, I would cry. I might break down and cry. I mean, they <laughs> finally figured it out. Like, I, I would lose it. I would. That would be the greatest move they made since like the yeah. the. I guess the Recky deal. God, I can't think of another deal that they just acquired so much talent. Um, I get what you're saying about Columbus. I don't think they quite gets that crazy, but there are certain low market teams that, <laughs> that when they start to spend money, they have to go all in or pull the plug because they can't afford to let that play out. Sure. So adding talent at expensive talent at that, 
it wouldn't be all that crazy for them to consider a, a scenario in that realm. I won't say that exact one. I won't go there, <laughs> but I'm just saying in that realm, I understand the, the just, just do it mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Be- I'm thinking Columbus as well, but I'm thinking flyers eat money and they get a second round pick. <laughs> and I don't think second overall, maybe second round. Jim takes off his Phillies hat and just, <laughs> I was, I was I was searching around today trying to figure out like who's available in free agency and all this yeah. stuff and I saw Zegers is a RFA. I mean, how let me start off by saying this is not happening, but you that'd be a hell of a first move too. With Zegers. That'd be a hell of a first move by Danny oh B though God. to go and RFA offer sheet Zegers 13 or 13 mil 8 years something crazy. Yeah, I mean, if they have Bedard, they don't need Zegers anymore. How crazy would it be, though, going back to Columbus, if they have Kevin Hayes, Johnny Gaudreau, and Connor Bedard? That's like... <laughs> I'd be pissed, honestly. Yeah, yep. I would I'd actually... Kind of what pissed. we all wanted here. Yeah, because it just... No, I don't even really want to think about it, because, <laughs> you know, it's like... I'll just Chuck say... Fletcher it. was bad at his job. I mean, there are people out there that are that'll say, you know, it's it was the wrong time, yada yada. It's the same people saying that the the Flyers' problem with the roster is no high end talent. Well, they had a chance to get it. You're saying they didn't need it. The time wasn't right. So, like, I don't want to hear that the problem with the roster is high end talent from these people. Yeah, it's it's like, not even that. It's not even it, that. Like, this is what the effing team told us. They told us this. This was their words. Then they got D'Angelo. Yeah. Then it was like only made sense that they were going to get Goudreau. It wasn't something we dreamt up because yeah. he's from here. It was exactly what they told us, what came out of Fletcher's mouth. What Dave Scott looked at Fletcher and said, we can add a piece or two, maybe more. What do you think that means? Not just going <laughs> D'Angelo and Delorier, like you know, who I really like Delorier, by the way. His interviews was one of my favorites. Just guy. saying. Uh, but but like that's what we were all led to believe. It didn't come out of left field for them to add Johnny Hockey. Like every literal star aligned, and they just said, you know what? Let's go this way for no effing reason. So, yeah, if they do get Bedard, I will be pissed <laughs> because it still could have happened for us. Kind of going back on the Jim's last point. I mean, that – that whole thing you just said, it kind of reminds me of some wannabe hockey reporter who's making up stuff about maybe the Flyers aren't ready for Bedard. <laughs> the same one that gets his, uh, that's asking scouts, yada, yada. Yeah. Uh, how scouts. weird was that? How? So I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to shit talk anybody, but I will. <laughs> but like, even if that did happen, why, why put that on Twitter? Like, you know that it, you have to know that it sounds dumb. Maybe you did have that conversation. Why does it have to go on on Twitter? I felt bad at one point. Slow news day. Felt bad. He's getting absolutely roasted. As he deserved. (laughs) It was a slow news day. And some people believe that there is no such thing as bad publicity. (laughs) Just needed a couple retweets. Made him feel Fire good. Fire season's himself. done. Can't talk about nothing. Needed needed something. Went with a lonely scout. Allegedly, you know, all credibility is just gone. Dust bunny sitting in the corner. Sucks. Uh, I mean, you hate to. I hate to. <laughs> I I hope I hope the best for for people. But like, when you see that, it's like 
man, you might deserve that a little bit, you know? Like, so it sucks. Oh, um, all right, boys. So uh, before we move on to our playoff predictions, I want to ask you guys, was there anything, because we didn't really talk about the Torts and, and Briere uh, press conferences. Uh, Jack, I'll ask you first. Was there anything from these uh, exit interviews, be it the players or coaches, uh, that you wanted to bring up uh, on the show? The only thing I'll add is I just loved everything Torts had to say. I really enjoy when he does get into a good back and forth with the um, the media and it's not just, you know, sarcasm and that was a stupid question and, you know, you get out of here, bullshit. Like when they actually have a good back and forth, he is actually very good to listen to. And thanks to you, I was able to read it and actually get everything that was asked and said. And I just love the way that he and Danny, for that matter, view this team, have talked with each other. It really seems to me the GM and the coach are on the same page. You talk about what happened when he went you know, up in the sky to watch the team. He even said that he and Danny, that was one of his favorite games because he and Danny had a very good conversation where he stood on players. He didn't hold back. Typically D'Angelo, they obviously butted heads. I think he kind of could have put a little bit of a kibosh on your theory, Jim, unfortunately, <laughs> when he kind of alluded to like, he's like, yeah, it seems like you and Tony bumped heads. He's like, we did. And, he proceeded to ask what happened. He's like, yes, between me and him, there's things we're going to go over. We're not going to put out in the media, but also kind of said like when you don't, you don't hold yourself accountable, you say you want to be accountable and you tell people you want to be accountable when you're actually held accountable, you're resistant. And he was, you know, he was, that's kind of what he said. It's like, there's players like that. I think that's exactly who he was talking about. Mm. The question also came directly after the Tony D'Angelo one as well. Um, yeah. So I, I think there was, it was very telling. But I think he's exactly what we need for this team. When asked, uh, where do you feel the team was when you first came in here with culture and accountability? Of course, he said he doesn't like culture, but there's a standard to be set. And I believe that this team was never felt they were out of a game. There were significantly less blowouts. And I think we can all agree that didn't happen this year. They competed. They may not have been the most talented team, but they competed. They were never out of the game. And I think that's exactly what you want to see from Tortorella. And I think he has a basic understanding of the players that will be coming back and have a future with his team. And those who do not, he's on the same page as the GM. And it's exactly everything I wanted to hear from the guy, just reiterating why he was the perfect coach for the job. Perfect in the sense that we did everything right, except get Bedard, which is still, which is still up to chance. So it's still, there's still a chance for the perfect offseason. but yeah, Tortorella definitely left me, feeling exactly why I knew he was, well, in my opinion, he was the best hire for where this team needed to go. So you got to love that actually, because if Jack, if you give an answer like that, if you, if you talk about someone like that, that means you're convinced. Cause I, I think of the three of us, you need the, you're, you're most reluctant to say, yeah, this is legit or, you know, to give out credit right away. And for you to talk about Tortorella like that is like, all right, Jack sold. You know, I, I, I like that. It gets me a little bit like, all right, they got the coach. Let's, <laughs> let's go here. Right. Um, Trev, anything that stuck out for you uh, that you want to bring up before we move on to our next topic? Yeah. The D'Angelo stuff. And he was, he was very open about kind of everything. Um, he really, he says he wants to be here. Um, he said he took accountability saying, look, I sucked in the D zone this year. And, 
a lot of that was I wasn't putting up the points that I'm used to, and I was kind of pushing for offense. Like he was very honest, mm. and he talked about how he wanted to play with Provorov more and how he thought they played well together, and the coaches just didn't use them together. So I, I thought that whole interview was really interesting. He gave really good insight, and he doesn't hold back, which I enjoy. Let me just add real quick, Jim, if which and obviously what Travis said was exactly how D'Angelo laid it out. If with everything you had been hearing about him, the team working with him and all that, if there's a chance for him to work, and I'll say I don't really care if he goes past this year, but if there's a chance for it to work, and then you see where you're at with him and Tortorella, maybe he finally got through. Maybe there's something to that doesn't quite seem that way, but for him, for Tony D'Angelo to be honest, the way he was makes me think there's at least a chance. There's at least a chance. If, if he can be honest with the media, there's no reason he can't be honest with Tortorella, which means there could be something there. Could just get you a good return at the trade deadline. Either way, it's not a bad thing. So this is interesting because the more we're talking about this, the more I'm kind of remembering other parts and I'm like, oh, now that's interesting. So there was a part where Tortorella had given a response in regards to, you know, players leaving or staying. And he said, you know, he might like a guy, you know, and want to keep him, but it might be the player that wants to go or (coughs) Ivan. Yeah. So, yeah, of course, Ivan Provorov is my first thought there. My if they're just talking about D'Angelo a little bit here, I, I think Torts loves D'Angelo. Um, I think they have similar personalities, right? They, they're both, they both have fiery, passionate personalities that Italian blood. Uh, <laughs> so I think Torts knows which buttons to press on D'Angelo. And I think he's probably been pressing them all year. Um, and if, if D'Angelo is anything like we've seen over the years, Maybe they had a falling out towards the end of the year. Like, yo, you've been riding me all year. I can't do anything right, yada, yada. Um, on the flip side of that, Torts, I feel like until the end of the year, never had really anything totally negative to say about D'Angelo. You know, he's given him praise through the media, specifically D'Angelo, where, you know, really, he didn't really single guys out. So, I, I just wonder if D'Angelo is one of those guys who maybe doesn't want to be here, you know, um, but we'll – I mean, no player is going to say, yeah, get me the hell out of here, you know. Uh, I'm just, well, what, just, just wondering. Well, one thing to add to that is Tortorella had said he likes it when a player openly in front of the team challenges him, comes yeah. back at him. Everybody's vulnerable, and a coach has to be ready for something like that. And – Tony D'Angelo is a guy who strikes me as I've had enough and yeah. you're going to hear a piece of my mind, obviously, you know, I mean, when he's the first one that comes to mind. And uh, I think, I don't know, maybe it's that Paisan blood. I don't know. You know, but there, maybe there's something there. Maybe, I mean, you can't be that way. Like Tortorella be that way. And D'Angelo be that way and not be some, some kind of mutual respect there. The end of the day comes down to results, and that might be what separates him from this team. Yeah. Uh, but maybe there's still something there. Until he's gone, there's something there. Yep. Yep, for sure. Good stuff, boys. All right, so let's move on a little bit. We spent a lot of time on the exit interviews. That was really, really good stuff. Um, all right, so Stanley Cup playoffs are underway once again. They started last night. Two games, and of course they were the late games, went to overtime, one went to two overtimes, 
Uh, I stayed up till 2 a.m. and watched the entire thing, <laughs> and I regret it bigly because I'm dead today. Um, so, yeah, playoffs have started, and we have our predictions, our predictions. Let me just bring those back up real quick here. Should have had them ready. All right. So let's go through real quick. We'll make this snappy. First round in the Eastern Conference, we have Bruins, Panthers, Leafs, Lightning, Canes, Islanders, Devils, Rangers. So before we get to our predictions, I want to ask Jack, in the Eastern Conference, which series are you looking forward to watching most? To be honest with you, it was the Devils and Rangers. Then the Rangers beat the Devils 5-1 to one tonight. <laughs> so I'm like, well, <laughs> I just thought the Devils had, in a way, arrived. Like They almost passed Carolina. Yeah. You know, and I, and I, I would love to see the Rangers fall off. That stupid team that has like lapped us and rebuilds like six times. <laughs> They're always with great goaltending. And it, it's just like I would love to see them get knocked back a step. And um, they also missed out on Jack Hughes. <laughs> so I would love to see the, him make them pay. And I really would – I don't see the Devils going past that, but I'd see the Devils being, as the future goes on, a pretty damn good team, which does suck. But when I look at our division, you know, there could be a lot worse teams in there. Yeah. And I really thought they could really, you know, knock back the Rangers and show what they got. And um, it's still early. But um, the last time these two guys played that I can remember – was the infamous um, – I think the Rangers beat him when – what was the name of the guy? Oh, God. He would he took his two gloves and his stick and put it right in Brodeur's face. Sean oh, Avery. Sean Avery. Sean Avery, thank you. <laughs> and, like, I'll never forget that. Wouldn't shake his hand in a handshake line. Like, it was a memorable series for me. You know, I think Lundquist was, like, in his 20s. Like, it was crazy. See, that's anyway. hockey right there, man. Just – Dudes being dudes. Sean Avery is an <laughs> asshole. Nobody likes him. Like Marty Rodeur is, you know, one of the best goalies in the league. Doing whatever you can to throw him off. Like, you're right, Jack. That's this could be the the, the most uh, anticipated first round series uh, in the Devils and Rangers. Uh, Trav, you, you have a different one in mind, or are you going with the same one? Nah. Well, I would have liked to watch, but you know, you wanted to record tonight. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> May- Maple Leafs. Again, oh, yeah. lightning. I mean, is this is this finally the year they get out of the first round? Is this the year we see the lightning take a step back? Nope. Um, it looks like it was seven to three. <laughs> oh my uh, god, Tampa. <laughs> um, it was three nothing after one. Leafs make it three two pretty early in the second, and Braden Point makes it four two in like less than a minute. And it appears that the lightning kind of went off after that. But yeah. that's the one I really want to see. Also, Carolina. Uh, my favorite, one of my favorite players, Shane Gosses beers over there, hoping he does well. I was able to watch last night. Um, so that's kind of the two teams I'm rooting for. The one thing I will say about this is I have a lot of these games. This is the most I've ever done going to game seven, like this, you know, the whole first round and the two matchups we just talked about in the East are the two I have going to game seven. Yeah, I do. I mean, it doesn't look good. My winners are not looking good, but there's still plenty of series left. I have the Maple Leafs finally moving past Tampa, really. It's not even the first round anymore. It's just Tampa. Um, And I have that in seven because it ain't going to be easy. And you saw by tonight, they're going to do it. It ain't going to be easy. And same with New Jersey. I I thought if they're going to knock off a team like the Rangers, it ain't going to be easy. Um, And I... As much as I dislike the playoff structure, the first round usually does wind up being pretty good. 
I love the first round. Uh, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've noticed that after the first round, I somewhat lose interest in the playoffs a little bit. Just because the matchups. Really? Yeah, I, I don't know why. I, I It feels like, uh, Jim, Toronto and Tampa, like especially like last year, the year before, that, that's like an Eastern Conference Finals yeah. matchup. Yeah. But like in you know in a year it's a, because of the playoff structure it's a first round matchup. The, that's the first, where I get aggravated. You know that's where it's so, a little annoying. It just feels like chaos to me. Like there's 16 teams. You know it's just hockey on every single night. There's four games a night. You know there's hockey all on overtime. Right from seven to <laughs> ten thirty, and you might be up till two three in the morning. Like I love it. And then once you get to the second round, the games kind of slow down a little bit, and it's you know it's usually the same teams playing each other. It's going to be the Bruins and the lightning and the Canes and the Rangers or, you know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. It just loses a little bit of its luster for me. Like the first round is in my opinion, the most fun round. It's just, it's just chaos. It's just my opinion. I don't disagree. I mean, they had a a great first round the last couple of years. It's the rest of the playoffs that I'm a little, you know, don't get me wrong. There's still been for some very good matchups, but. I, some of these first round matchups I feel like should be definitely later in the playoffs when it's even more important. Yeah. Like, like the first round is the round that you're going to see the blue jackets upset the Tampa Bay lightning. You know, you're not going to see that in the conference finals. Usually the better team will prevail as the playoffs go on. But it just, it goes back to my youth and it's like, I remember that, you know, the flyers would play Buffalo yeah. and Toronto in these rounds and Ottawa you know, and the Devils would play somebody else, and the Flyers and Devils would meet in the Eastern Conference Final, point, like yeah. like the division rivals, and you know th- those are what we remember. That regardless of the outcome, we remember the big plays and the comebacks and all that, and the saves and the hits, and you know that that's what I feel like it will always kind of lack from these playoffs. As crazy good as the first round can be, that's the kind of stuff that unfortunately you got to get really lucky for that stuff to fall into place now, mm-hmm. for, for sure. All right, so let's get to series picks. We'll kind of blow by these real quick. This way we can get to the Western Conference. Uh, all right, first round series in the Eastern Conference. We have Panthers, Bruins. Uh, it looks like we all, all three of us picked the Bruins to win that series. Panthers gave them a fight yesterday, last night. Uh, however, Alex Lyon, you know, you just, it's it would have been really, really brave i guess to pick the panthers in that series i mean the bruins are the best regular season team of all time president's trophy winning there's no weak spot uh great trade deadline moves we all picked the bruins i think we're going to be right there um we all picked the carolina hurricanes in the hurricanes islander series which i watched that game guys and snooze fest in my opinion it's going to be one of those series i think low scoring kind of you know a little boring uh, and whoever can outlast the other one maybe takes that series. But sounds like you're kind of hockey. Well, it kind of <laughs> is. It, so I'm going to tell you the truth. I, don't get me wrong, because I like watching the McDavid's, and obviously the Leafs and the Lightning is going to be a firecracker of a series, Devils Rangers. But you know what? I I really actually enjoyed watching last night was the <laughs> Dallas Stars and the Minnesota Wild. Mm-hmm. I mean it, that. Every game in that series has potential to go to overtime. Like they're evenly matched teams, heavy teams, playoff built teams. It was just kind of fun for me to watch that. But uh, yeah, we all have the Canes over the Islanders because uh, fuck New York. Uh, and then this is where it gets a little interesting because I think even on the Western Conference side, we may have picked all this, the same teams. 
Uh, and that's going to be interesting because we have a little bit to talk about on the Western Conference side, boys. Uh, not looking as good over there. So, uh, okay, Leafs Lightning. It looks like, Jack and Trav, you guys both think the Leafs are going to advance. And here's my question to you guys. Is that more you hope that they advance, or is that you think they're legitimately better than the Lightning this year? I I, I, I don't think the Lightning are good this year. I think this is the time that the – Maple Leafs get past them. And I think all it takes is for the Leafs is to get past one round. You bury that whole narrative and that thing's behind you. And then you can go on a roll. I totally agree with Travis. And a lot of it is hope with me, but as an owner of Vasilevsky in fantasy hockey, that team has taken a significant step down. Mm -hmm. We saw it. You win that many cups. You got to overpay guys. They couldn't do that. Obviously because of the cap, they had to move on from guys that lost an entire line among others. You know, I mean, they've done pretty good to, to stay where they are. I think that's why I have this going seven. I still think there's something to that logo to Toronto that they have to get past, and it may take the whole series to do it. So Toronto and seven, this is the year they get by it. And I have Toronto knocking off Boston too. It's just a spoiler alert, you know, but um, yeah, it probably won't happen. But I put it in anyway. Yeah, so I went lightning, guys, and – I was tempted to go Toronto, but uh, I just don't want Toronto to advance. I I kind of take pleasure. He doesn't like skilled hockey. I kind of take pleasure (laughs) in their misery. It doesn't bother me. They they just don't bother me like they do other people, unfortunately. So I like like watching them. Like they're a fun team, obviously, and they have star talent. But uh, just something about them not making it out of the first round again just – Kind of makes me laugh. I take in, I, I I have enjoyment out of seeing that. And I, I you know Tampa Bay like so. Here's something that I consider in each series: which team has the goalie, right? Because yeah. Tampa Bay has Vasilevsky. Obviously, you mentioned Jack. Toronto doesn't have a legitimate number one goalie, in my opinion. Like they just don't like Samsonov is not a legit number one goalie to me. Uh, Matt Murray, not a legit number one goalie. You can get by with those guys in the regular season, right? But in a seven-game series, especially against a back-to-back cup-winning team like Tampa Bay, uh, Vezina-winning goalie and Vasilevsky, you know, you got Kucherov, Stamkos, yada, yada. I think, you know, the lack of goaltending is where, you know, it's going to show up against a team like Tampa Bay. I don't, I don't want to say that I'm right because it's going to be a long series, but Tampa Bay puts up a touchdown. Uh, touchdown <laughs> and an extra point in game one. So, you know, we'll see that. That's why I went Tampa Bay though, because of Vasilevsky. Um, I had my pencil on Toronto and then I was like, ah, last minute. Jim said, it's going to be a close series. Some two to one wins. I'm going with Vasilevsky seven and three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Eight to three. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if this episode showed us anything, Jim's always wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Got the right team, but the wrong reason. Yeah. Some if call I- that luck, but I call that. Well, luck. So what? <laughs> what? What about the question in the chat? We got an upset here. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, let me read that. I put that on the screen there. So Jacob Day, thoughts on the Panthers upsetting the Bruins? Go ahead, Trav. You think there's a, legi- uh, a legitimate shot they can? I think the Bru. I mean, uh, excuse me. I think the Panthers are trash. Um, <laughs> I think I said Bruins in five. I think just Matthew Kachuk is just gonna go crazy one game and win a game by himself. I think he has that kind of ability with Barkov, but 
that's all I really see happening. We have a former flyer in net, Alex Lyon. Um, kind of talked about him before. Not too high on him. I think the hot streak ends here. Yeah. yeah. And here's a thought. Oh. If you're the coach of the Florida Panthers, who's I think Paul Maurice, mm-hmm. and you have a $10 million goalie sitting on your bench because, you know, Alex Lyon, who's a starting AHL goalie, is on a hot streak. At some point, he's got to put in Bobrovsky, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, it, that's a really, really tough look if you go out. I mean, I know it's the Bruins, so you, you kind of have a get-out-of-jail-free card there, losing to the best team arguably to ever to play in the NHL. Hmm. Um, but you're starting your AHL goalie against them in the first round of the playoffs, and you have a $10 million goalie sitting on the bench. To me, it just looks silly, to be honest with you. I, I'm actually in favor for it. I say ride the hot streak as long as you can. You kind of get some leeway because Bob was hurt. It's not like he it's not like he was playing decent, and Alex Lyon was just playing a little bit better. He was hurt until that last couple of games of the season, so I think they kind of have that leeway with it. I mean, maybe maybe Alex Lyon channels his inner Michael Layton and could carry him for a little bit, but I don't know. I don't. I don't see it happening. No way. No. But um, I, I I do agree that if if Lyon gets lit up or maybe you go down three zero in the series, you got to put in Bob. But you you got to remember, Bob's been terrible in his playoff career. That's like the one slight he has against him. He's not good. Signed in Florida for $10 million, though. You got to play the $10 million guy. I don't care. It looks it looks really bad. Uh, okay. So let me just flash up our predictions here real quick for the people watching. Uh, there you go. Okay, so we did Bruins. We did Leafs. We did Canes. All right, so now we're on Devils Rangers, which, you know, as Jack said, could be the premier matchup in the Eastern Conference. Uh, we'll start with Travis on this one. Trav, you, you were with me on this. You picked the Rangers. Why would you pick the Rangers? Um... I'm usually not a fan of this narrative, but in this case, I do really think it applies. I think the uh, discrepancy in playoff, um, not history, playoff experience um, is really going to show in this series. And I think kind of like you talked about with the goaltending matchup in Toronto and Tampa Bay, I think it's really, really, really key here in the Rangers and the Devils. So I picked Rangers and five. Um, pretty pretty confident in that one. Yeah, I think that's well said. I I like the Devils better than I like the Rangers. I think they're a more fun team. Wow. I honestly hope the Rangers lose, even though that even though I picked them. I hate the Rangers. I hate their guts. <laughs> I hate them. But uh, I I just when I look at New Jersey, this is their first real taste. I think of playoff action in however long. Um, you know can. Jack Hughes, do it when it counts. He had an amazing regular season, breakout year, 99 points. I think he scored 40 goals, yada, yada. I mean, they have a great team, New Jersey. Uh, I think New York is more built for this. They're they're more battle-tested. They have the goalie. Um, Jack, why do you think – why did you pick New Jersey? I, you know, for me, it was their regular season. Everything just seemed to click for this team. Uh Outside of starting a little slow, they started to put it together. They started to beat everybody. They were beating everybody. They were playing. They all they look good. They had a lot of good storylines coming out of there. Luke Hughes first, you know, he made plays with the team, first goals and overtime goal, assisted from his brother and whatnot. Like, yeah, cool, yeah. like holy cow! Like, it just felt like, uh, you know, I felt they could, 
propel themselves at least past one round. Um, I didn't think they had enough juice to keep it going. It wasn't a Cinderella story or anything like that, but the team was just finally on such a big upswing. I thought they could at least, it's not just win around, but knock off a very good team, division rival team that could have easily been in the cup last year. Um, but ultimately, when you spoke about Toronto and Tampa, how much of that was hope? There was a lot of hope there. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> like, there was some hope there. You know, which more teams most likely to lose in the next round and be probably the Devils. And um, and the it's funny. Travis mentioned both things. The two things like that I knew would be the biggest arguments against that, and I have no argument for that, is goaltending and playoff experience. And it's just like, how do you be, how do you beat that? Well, the only way to beat that is to make the playoffs and win. So I'm just gonna roll with that, you know. So yeah, that's why I have it in seven. It, it, I it never said it was gonna be easy, you know. I, I'm I'm hoping they can at least make it a series. It's only been one game, um, you know. This is it is also when I look at all the Eastern Conference matchups, you have a blow, what should be a blowout in Boston and Florida. You have another Tampa. Can Tampa? Fi- I'm sorry. Can Toronto finally get past Tampa and the first round? And then you have a defensive struggle with Carolina and the Islanders. So I come to New Jersey and New York, and I'm just like, well, this should be the best series based on narrative. I would agree. I hope every series goes seven games. Honestly, <laughs> it's just the most fun. Every I want every every series to go seven and every game to go to overtime. That's that's fun. Who doesn't? <laughs> Yep. All right, boys, let's get to the Western Conference. Boom. There's our predictions. We got abs. <laughs> wow, a lot to talk about here. Yeah. Abs Seattle, which Seattle's out to an early one-nothing lead there in game oh, one, which is interesting. Hackstall. Fucking hackstall. Like unbelievable. Give me a break. Yep. <laughs> so looking at these four series here, I think we asked Jack first uh, on the eastern side. Trav, which series to you is going to be the most exciting to watch? Um God, kind of like you said earlier, the, the Stars and Wild was really entertaining last night. Good physical hockey, old school. Um, I think the Avalanche Kraken might be the complete opposite, just all speed and skill. Um, the Oilers kind of might be somewhere in the middle. Like The way the Kings check and defend and how good and easy and simple they make it look is so beautiful. And going against the two two best players in the league in Dreisaitl and McDavid, that's going to be a, a really good challenge to watch Vegas and Winnipeg. I, I mean, I'll be watching it, but not really too worried about them. So, yeah. Jack, which series are you look, are you most looking forward to watching? I think that Dallas and Minnesota will probably be the most entertaining, but me personally, uh, Edmonton and the Kings, a lot of for what Travis just said, um, there was something Tortorella had mentioned about what he teaches and what he sees. He was asked a question about how the team played defensively, how they were going to take a penalty kill and look at things of that nature. And I thought he was going to say, oh, we improved. And instead he said something like, um, we have a long way to go. And I was kind of glad he said that, even though I didn't expect it. And it's a lot of little things that he mentioned like just shutting down plays before they happen recognizing this recognizing that being proactive everything he said showed me that a team like columbus could knock off tampa if you're going to do it that's how you're going to do it 
And um, I feel like the Kings play that way, even though the, the discrepancy between the two teams isn't as massive. They're obviously a lot closer, and they played before, and it was a good series. Uh, but I feel like the Kings, they do those things that like really irk Edmonton and the way they play, you know, especially the, how much skill they bring to the table. And I, I have that. I have Edmonton in seven. I feel like it's going to be a close series. I feel like it's going to be a good series. Um, the one that shocked me the most, I thought you both of you guys were going to take Minnesota. I felt like that was everybody's like favorite to upset the, the, you know, the biggest, the favorite upset. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I thought, you know, a lot of, even though it's, I don't, again, don't think it's as close. Uh, I saw a lot of people taking Minnesota. So I'm surprised we're all in agreement there. Uh, that looks like it's going to be a hell of a series after the Dumba hit on Pavelski. Uh, the other two series I, I don't care a lot for. I'm a little surprised that could the Kraken have a lead right now. I have Colorado in six, so I give the Kraken a little bit of credit. Um, other than that, I have uh, I have Vegas in five over Winnipeg. I don't know, you know, whatever. That series is so whatever to me. I'm not, really not a big fan of either team. Um, I expect Colorado to win, though. I will say that. I feel like this is just a little hiccup, you know, a little – We'll just say heck up, but okay. the West the West doesn't seem as wild to me as um, some of the Eastern matchups in in perception in perception as far as the games go. Yeah, gloves are off. No, because there's not really uh, any history of rivalries within these matchups aside from maybe the Oilers and Kings, who I think you said right. played last year, right, Trav? Yeah. So I mean that that series I think I think is going to be a good one. There's maybe some bad blood there. Um, I can't re- I can't recall, but I think McDavid put a hit on somebody from LA during the year, and Drew Doughty came out and said something like, "If we have the opportunity to hit him, we're going to smack him." <laughs> and uh, so there, there's some bad blood between those two teams, and maybe it's manufactured a little bit. I don't know. I I didn't see him say it. I, I just read the quote. Um, but that series, I think, could get a little a little ugly. And it was I tell you what, I had that game. I had a five-game parlay last night, right, boys? And it was looking pretty good. Picked the Sixers. I picked uh, the Hurricanes. I picked the Bruins. To me, those three games were locks, right? And I'm looking at the late games. I'm like, Stars should win that. They're at home. They got Ottinger. Uh, that's, a, that's a win. You know, I, that's one that I was kind of on the fence about. But I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to watch that game till the end. I didn't think there was any way the Oilers were going to lose last night, the way that they finished the season. I think they finished the year like, I don't know, 19, one and two or something like that. Ever since they traded for Matthias Ekholm from Nashville, Mm -hmm. they were on a complete and utter tear. Evan Bouchard looks amazing on that power play. Um, Once they went up two nothing and I think they went back up three to one. I was like, all right, good night. I'll watch the, uh, the Dallas Minnesota game, you know, easy 500 bucks, $15 bet, 500 bucks. If you win that five game parlay, as I'm wow. watching one game, you know the, the the Kings came back down three to three nothing was it in the third, and they won four to three in overtime. That's going to be a series. I, oh. I kind of was under the impression that Edmonton maybe could make quick work of the Kings this year, and oh, was I mistaken yet again? <laughs> Go ahead, Trav, say it. You're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean. We, we all have the same picks here, which I, I feel pretty good about because if I'm wrong, that means we're all wrong. <laughs> um, I don't think it's crazy to say that, like, I look at these teams. There's some good teams in the West, but yeah. I don't know. I could see either of these teams going to the cup. 
Like I, I just based on the matchups, if Colorado's gonna, you know, be stupid and you know, it's only one game, but if they're gonna like be stupid, I can see I, I can see Edmonton he's making it to the cup. And if the Kings get by Edmonton, I don't I think that it'll be a lot tougher and I don't think they win, but I I could see this series propelling a team pretty far. I agree with you, but I, I was actually kind of surprised how many people are taking the Oilers to win. I mean, I think that point kind of gives it to you. Like, mm-hmm. I may have taken the Oilers, but I respect the shit out of the Kings. I mean, I mean to win the cup. I, I'm seeing a lot of people think the Oilers could win the cup. And the more I think about it, I can see it. But when I first saw it, I was like, wow, really? They're my pick. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of them. I just, I don't like Winnipeg. Uh, in the king, uh, the Knights, I had I had Edmonton winning a close series against the Kings, but taking care of business against Vegas. And then you know, I think they could win another close series against whoever comes out of the remaining teams. And you know, from there, it's who comes out of the East, obviously, and that's a whole another conversation. But I don't, I just, I'm not saying it's, I, it's going to happen. I just don't think it's that crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff, guys. So, really, out of eight first round series, we've we only not that we disagreed, but we picked, you know, we we picked the same in six out of the eight series. The only two series that we didn't pick the same were Toronto, Tampa, and New Jersey, New York, and you know, those are those are two of the series that are toss up series. You know, those are some those are going to be some fun series. I'll be watching them. I think the, the, I think we picked where we disagree with some of the better series for sure. Or they I know they were. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, typically, I I take more enjoyment watching the West playoffs because they're on later at night, and you know the teams I think are more evenly matched most of the time. Um, but this year, I think the East. I think the beasts are in the East this year. Uh, and, and I'm talking about, t- you know, Toronto, the, the Boston Bruins, Rangers, Devils, yada, yada, the Hurricanes. I mean, damn, I just almost named every team in that first round. All, <laughs> all very good teams. So it's going to be a fun playoffs. Um, that, that pretty much wraps up our first round predictions there. Uh, we're about an hour and 45 in. Did you want to take a couple minutes and defend Claude Giroux, Trav? I'll just give the floor to you. Uh, you know, I won't say anything that if you wanted to punish us for last week, you're well, to, to be completely honest. I kind of said that in the group chat the other day, just kind of as a joke, because I think he tweeted something about him earlier in the day. He, I don't even remember what the quote was, but he was disappointed with how the Ottawa season went and he wishes they were playing in the playoffs. That's what it was. And you said, uh, I don't even remember what you said. Uh, I'm sure he does. You know, he, oh, well, yeah, yeah. you think Claude Drew doesn't care about playing in the playoffs. What a joke. Sure. He does. I don't know. We yeah. talked about it a lot last week. Um, for the short time I did hop on the show. He Dude. had his opportunity to play wherever he wanted and he chose to play up in cold, miserable Ottawa. But I, I, I think it was fair to think that the senators could make a run this year. Maybe not like a Stanley cup run, but make, make some noise, get into the playoffs, win a round or two. Yeah. I guess he, you know, he wasn't, he didn't have enough of that in Philly, you know, or the potential of a roster, yada, yada. Was that his fault? No. You sure? <laughs> it was. You, sure? you want to say it? <laughs> say it. I know you no, want to say it. Blame him. It wasn't his fault. So Claude Giroux is an outstanding player. I, I won't deny that. He's very, very good. Just his time here was just wasted. It wasn't his fault. You know, there's 
maybe some things that I need to figure out that I'm not over uh, yet. So well, we can get to that on the next episode here before all of our uh, computers die. It is getting a little bit late, almost two hours show. Any final thoughts, boys, before we wrap this one up? I think we're good. Roll Leafs, roll Canes. Yep, Lightning going to win. Yeah. Um, all right, so, uh, yeah, by this time next week, we should have a pretty good idea of uh, who's going to come out of the first round. Looking forward to it. Uh, everybody, en- enjoy the playoffs. Where's my... Where's my line, guys? Give me my line here. Oh, yeah. Next time you catch a slide, it'll probably be on next Monday, Tuesday. We'll see. We'll have it figured out. We'll announce it on social media. Uh, Make sure you're you're taking your vitamins. Uh, Enjoy the playoffs. Everybody have a good night, and let's go Flyers. Cal Pickard. Jeff Hackett. Whoa. Good ones.